1: Welcome. Welcome to The Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing supporters, entrepreneurs, human beings that have been following this podcast for some time. You guys are the outliers. I love each and every one of you guys. Anti-status quo. You might be producers and artists and entrepreneurs and You know, innovators and CEOs. Uh, You guys come from a wide variety of backgrounds. I love it. And um, often, as I always say on this podcast, you're probably misunderstood. You're probably thought of as crazy because why would anybody want to go do the route that you want to go do? And I'm here to tell you, you're not crazy. You're completely understood here on this podcast by me, my guests, everybody that listens, everybody that joins us uh, here in the studio. We get you. Um, you know, I've been, well, first of all, for all the day ones, thank you guys for being here for so long. And we've got a lot of new listeners. I appreciate all of you guys tuning in. Um, you know, I'm Matt Gottesman. You guys can always, re- I tell all the audience and everybody, you can always reach out to me at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. Uh, I've been answering each and every single DM, text, reply, response, you name it, for like almost a decade at this point. And some of you guys continue to keep testing me (laughs) in my DM and and you're like, just seeing if this works. And it does. And you're like, wow, you really answer. Um, You know, for anybody that's newer to the show, I always say that we don't glorify or glamorize and success because uh, it's a journey. And success is really a very arbitrary word to me. I believe it's defined by you. Um, because if you allow it to be defined by others, I think you're going to be playing a game that will keep you in a cycle for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, quite frankly, everybody's definition of success is different. And uh, I, so I believe it's very arbitrary. I think you have to figure out what that means to you. And, and often at times, you're probably already successful just for the sheer act of doing anything that moves your soul. And that's really what we try to focus on when I bring on guests, we feature them in their journey, whether it's their first venture, their third venture, their 50th venture, it doesn't matter because they're always learning something new about themselves and they're bringing that aspect to the world. And you know, uh, I like to humanize that entrepreneurial creative journey. Um, it's it's a beautiful journey, and I think it just needs to be honored and respected more. So that's why I decided to flip the script on on how that got delivered years ago, and here we are. So appreciate all the ratings and review. The feedback has been phenomenal. You guys are are amazing, and I've got another incredible guest today uh, who I've uh, come to know over the last couple of years, and it's cool to hear. Uh, we we were just talking about um, when you're sitting on the other side of the microphone or you know, versus you know when you're the creator, but then all of a sudden you're being interviewed. It's it's much different, and uh, but it's also fun because then we get to hear the stories and the whys and all that. And so um, we're going to do that today, and it's with Renee D, and she's the founder of Iconic Life Magazine, uh, and we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about um, publishing and how that's changing the digital landscape. Um, Pivoting, being relevant in a changing industry and changing times. I think all of you (laughs) can probably relate to that in some way, shape, or form. Um, We're living in a very transitioning, transformative time. And, uh, you know, technology is disrupting things. Um, You know, global affairs are disrupting things. Um, Higher consciousness, you know, all kinds of different things are happening. And um, you're seeing new innovative ways to approach. Um, sometimes older businesses, uh, and then also you're seeing an emerging of a lot of newer businesses and kind of this intersection of the two. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna queue up Renee's bio because it's amazing. And then we're gonna get right into it and we're gonna see how much I can get out of her uh, in her journey and her story. Uh, I told her I would Oprah her. (laughs) So, uh, you know, a little bit of a background. She's a publisher of Iconic Life. It's a luxury lifestyle magazine. And it celebrates the art of living beautifully with features on exceptional design and architecture and style and cuisine, luxury travel, living your best life. And it's uh, printed quarterly and at iconiclife.com. You can go check uh, the magazine out there. And it reaches about 100,000 unique readers monthly. It showcases vibrant people behind the products and the dreams behind the designs and the innovation behind inspiring ideas. So the people building and designing and doing the things, right, um, versus just simply just having, um, you know, amazing content. What I think what makes it amazing is actually understanding the context behind it. And she does a really great job with that. Uh, new content is published daily. The narrative is curated for uh, her audience, a very sophisticated, fluent audience. But I've actually noticed, um, uh, and I, this is just my personal, I'm seeing a, a beautifully uh, emergent, um, uh, like uh, up and coming creative artistic class as well, too, uh, that are really into uh, like the style the way the magazine is delivered. Um, and, you know, a lot of the uh, content that is being featured. Iconic Life's mission is to be storytellers and curators of The Iconic, and she's got a 25-year career in publishing and marketing, inspired editorial direction, her passion for stunning imagery, and her heart for giving back are the pulse of the magazine launched in early 2018, I remember when she did, and uh, beautiful design alongside compelling stories, keep readers engaged, and coming back for more. And uh, you guys can also be sure to check her, uh, check actually Iconic Wife uh, magazine out on Insta as well and all the socials. And um, a little bit more about her, in 1996, she put all she knew into action with the launch of Arizona Foothills magazine. And she spent nearly a decade as founder and publisher before moving on to other pursuits. And her career has encompassed all sides of the media as a media buyer and a broadcast account executive, an editor, and a television reporter. Uh, and important career stops, including work with Porter Novelli, NBC Today Show, Arthur and Anderson Worldwide, Meredith Corporation, and founding girlfriend University Amplify U and Vitamin G Creative. Um, you have you slept? <laughs> it went so fast. <laughs> and today she's making her mark again. You know, with publishing with Iconic Life and a robust calendar of high caliber events, including an impressive roster of luxury show houses. Uh, let's see, and now a sustainable show house, Net Zero Iconic Home. So. Um, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and for a lack of sleep.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. You know what, Matt, you do such a great job with this podcast and already I'm listening to your intro and I'm like, he's so good. So thanks Uh, for having me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I always say the first question is the, is the same. How do we get here? Because I know I gave a snippet of the bio in the background, but there's like, there's so much more and, um, you can go as far back as you want. But, um, what's the journey kind of the, the, the high overview and and take your time with it. I I want the audience to get a context of like, okay, I see how, you know, we're going to, cause we're going to be talking a lot about pivoting and changing times and Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. They're going to get an idea of adaptation from you for sure. So feel free to go as far back as you'd like, but I would love for you to give us context on the background.
0: Oh boy. Well, you know, (laughs) there's a lot. So. Geez, you know, pivoting for sure. You know, I think I'm the story of trying to solve problems. And so I think that's where every business has potentially come from. Uh, A good friend of mine um, was in town last week, a high school friend. And he said, hey, by the way, just for the fun of it, he goes how much time in your life did you actually work for somebody? He said, I'm just curious. I said, well, I think it was about two and a half years of my total career. I was actually uh-huh. spent working for somebody. Um, two of those years I really enjoyed because I was learning a lot, and the rest of it I didn't enjoy actually going to somebody else's office. So that's what keeps an entrepreneur going right. is because I don't actually really like to go to work, but I like to work. So, um, gosh, I mean, the the diving back. I mean, I'll just share a couple Of early things, you know, I'm pretty intentional about some of the things that I do. And I think I'm a case study in trial and error, right? So I started my first business about age 11. And I wanted to start this little neighborhood newspaper. And so my whole audience was about 10 houses on one street. And so I aptly named my newspaper, the wide world of news. Because the wide world of news was obviously active on my little street of 10 houses. <laughs> and so I knew that I needed a revenue model right out of the gate, right. because this was a long time ago. And you guys, for everybody who is not my same age, you know, I didn't have access to copy machines or laser printers or anything. So I would print this newspaper, or I would type it out of my typewriter, but I needed carbon paper, because I would try to do two copies at yeah. once, so I'd put a piece of carbon paper in between the two pieces of paper, and I'd type out my little neighborhood newspaper. So I went out and I just, um, it was just a, a failure of um, cost analysis because I charged everybody a dollar for a one-year subscription and I promised <laughs> six issues. And unfortunately, that first revenue um, paid for my first pack of carbon paper. And I essentially went out of business by about the third issue because <laughs> I just ran out of money. I ran out of carbon paper is what happened. So that was the end of the wide world of news. But from there, um, I started a lot of different businesses, and I've always really kind of liked the model of working for myself. Right. And so <clears throat> teenage years, you know, a lot of people have those stories about being a babysitter. That was not the gig for me. Oh, my gosh. That was just a terrifying experience. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to make the money. And, you know, I there were things I needed as a teenager. And so I started cleaning houses. And so I found that this was a fabulous model because I could, um, I think I charged was 15 bucks again, this was a long time ago, so I was making right. $7.50 an hour as a 14-year-old. And so it was $15 bucks for two hours of cleaning, but I started cleaning the houses in my neighborhood. And we lived in a um, kind of lower middle-class neighborhood, but the houses were big and there were just kids everywhere. And these houses were so dirty. They were filthy because there were children everywhere. So it occurs to me one day as I'm on my 10-speed riding down the street is that there's these houses that we call the yuppie houses. And in Chicago, they're stacked houses. So there was one on the bottom and one on the top. And they were super, super expensive and super luxe and super, super small. So it was where the yuppies would live. The husband and wife were both, you know, double income, no kids, they were working, they had a good income, and they could afford somebody to clean the house. And what I realized very quickly is there were two things that made this a good business model. The houses were very small, and there were no children. So I was essentially cleaning clean houses, which was the perfect scenario. (laughs) So I figured out in my uh, business, so I flyered the neighborhood. So this is my first experience in target marketing. I decided I want to clean houses there. So I flyered the neighborhood with my special offer of two hours for 15 bucks and I think one summer I had like twenty houses I was cleaning, and I would mm-hmm. just go, and it was very efficient too because I would just go, you know, a couple doors down and a couple doors down. So this whole business was basically run off of the uh, my backpack and my ten speed bike. So and that's per
1: and that's per week because they need like house cleaning usually be yeah, weekly, week. right?
0: Oh yeah, Halfway. I made a ton of money for college, so it was great. Um, sadly, I didn't have anybody who knew anything about owning a business, and so when I finally went off to college, I had a really great viable business, mm. and I just wrote thank you notes to all my clients and said good luck. It was really great working for you, so I didn't <laughs> sell it. Um, I just said goodbye and thanks, which um, somebody probably would have you know enjoyed that business model, but anyhow, so that's where it started.
1: <laughs> and then, and then, and then uh, you went to college. To, like, I want to keep going. I'd yep. love to hear kind of the and how you got into media and and because. It's changed so oh, my goodness! fast. I mean, I think exponentially faster each year. It's going, <laughs> now it's just changing every day. Yep. So <laughs> I've know? always
0: loved media. So as yeah. you know, I told you newspaper is my first thing, but I've always liked writing and I've always liked magazines a mm-hmm. lot and I've always liked the news. And so I sort of envisioned that that was going to be something I was going to do. So when I was looking for a college, um, I was looking for a school that had a good journalism program. And so I, you know, hit all the big Midwestern, um, the little liberal arts colleges that had a, a, an emphasis in uh, journalism. And I ended up at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines is, uh, is, means the middle. So it's right in the middle of Iowa, which is where a bunch of us Chicago kids went. And the reason I chose this university is Meredith Corporation was based in Des Moines, Iowa with Better Homes and Gardens. And I thought, you know what? If I play my cards right, I actually have a university that's only 20 minutes away from a Fortune 500 publishing company. And if I want to get to publishing, this seems like this could be the short road. Um, So I chose Drake because I wanted to get to Meredith. And you know, the other way to get to Meredith would have been... To be one of a million other young women like myself who went to New York to get in the magazine business, mm-hmm. right? Everybody knows the movie Devil Wear's Prada*, right? So a ton of you know young girls are heading off to New York to live their dream in the magazine publishing world, and that's not an easy way to get in. And I thought, I think I could backdoor this thing, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna do what people don't think about doing, and I'm gonna get in um, through Des Moines, Iowa.
1: <laughs> yeah, real quick. Uh, one of the things I like about that is, um, well everything <laughs> because when everybody I'm a big fan of when everybody goes left go right yeah you know uh, when everybody is so saturated over here you're like wait a minute um you guys are all like trying to cram through like a tiny little window when there's like a massive door right <laughs> over here. yeah and it's not crowded because they're all just fighting over you know herd mentality or whatever <laughs> they're all just fighting for like the saturated side of the market yeah. um so I love Don't that worry. and and this the strategy of mm-hmm. uh, when you're like you know what I'm gonna go to in order to get to here, I'm going to go to this school, focus on this thing that I love, and then be able to walk more or less right in yep. versus this kind of, you know, traditional quote unquote way of doing things.
0: As I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I've always been a problem solver. So I try to figure, I'm always trying to figure things out. And so that was my way of figuring out how was I going to get where I wanted to go. And it was certainly the less glamorous route, right? Because we're in Des Moines and not New York. Um, But it gave me the career opportunity that I wanted. And by the way, I pushed really hard for that job. When I graduated college, um, I started working at Iowa Power first because I could not get into Meredith Corporation, but I knew that that was the end goal. And so um, I got on all these committees at the the local PR society and the local ad club and stuff like that. Anybody that Meredith um, put into any of these, um, local organizations, I became the junior member, right? And I figured out who I needed to get to know. And so there was a woman that I wanted to work for. And, um, this is fun to say her name, Jackie Saunders, amazing, amazing mentor, incredible. And so I met her out and about and I knew she was the head of the department that I wanted to get to at Meredith. And I'm like, I just got to get to Jackie. So she was chairing some event for some PR society or whatever. And I just volunteered. I said, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you need. I'm going to do everything you need. I'm your girl, whatever you need. And I figured if I just spent enough time with her, the magic question would happen. And it took me about a year until she said, hey, have you ever thought about coming to work for Meredith Corporation? I'm like, funny you should bring that up. (laughs) And so that was when um, I was quickly interviewed and got in for what was really a dream job. So working for the company that publishes um, Better Homes and Gardens. Uh So it was great.
1: Two things in there. One, uh, and uh, well, two questions that I thought that came up. You said the less glamorous route. I feel like more often than not, the less glamorous route is where the success actually happens. Like always.
0: It's a little more scrappy. Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) because you got to do the work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because like you got to do the work and it's not, it doesn't look a certain way. You have to actually like work a certain way through it. Right. And I mean, I feel yeah. like, and that's all you did. You ever, again, everybody was concerned with like this flashy object over here, whereas you're like, oh, these are the people I need to meet. This is the work I need to do. This is where I need to volunteer. This is who I have to talk to. Yep, You actually had to do the work. Yep, yep. And it's not glamorous, but at the same time, I don't know, why do we define glamour as like that shiny object over here when technically how exciting is it to do the, like, the, the process and the journey to get to where you want to go versus, yeah. you know, this shiny object over here.
0: And what's funny is that then it kind of quickly became glamorous at some point. So I started working as the lowest person in this very large department, and I got moved into the PR side first. So we were doing PR for all the major titles that they had. They had just acquired Ladies Home Journal. And so my job, which is the coolest job, I would recommend this to people. You have no idea what an opportunity this was. But they did, uh, Meredith Corporation published a magazine for all the magazine employees. And it was the internal magazine magazine right so um, so I was writing about everything that was happening at Meredith so it was my job to publish a magazine writing about all the employees at Meredith and the most important employees are of course the CEO and the CFO and all the you know the broadcast president and all these people and so it was my job and I had just a green light mm. it was my job to get into the c-suite and interview all these people about how how do you do this why do you do this what's happening give me the back. Backstory of you know what's happening in the company, and so I was working with nobody. If I, had I gone to New York, let me tell you, I would have never been sitting right. at lunch with the CEO or the chairman of the board, um, E. T. Meredith. You know, interviewing them for a magazine story it would have never happened. I would have never gotten to that level. So I immediately got to the C suite, and you know, I'm on planes getting flown to New York here and there because mm-hmm. I'm covering stories, but I'm on a private jet, and I'm 22 three, you know, and so Mm -hmm. again, that wouldn't have happened had I gone to New York, but it was the greatest education ever because the thought leaders of that fabulous organization that still is fabulous today were the people that I had access to. And of course, I was, it was um, humbling and I was super grateful for the opportunity, but I was a sponge because then I could just ask all the questions I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask about how do you publish a magazine? So that comes back around in my career, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, it was cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, again, I love everything about this. Because um, even when it wasn't your technically your platform, you ran it like it was. And then you went in and you talked to all these people. I, I say it all the time on the podcast. I'm like, you guys don't understand. It's just a platform to connect. And when you create some sort of a platform and allow people to come on and talk, just talk. Talk about their experiences and talk about their, you know, what they've been building or what their responsibilities are. Yeah. they feel seen and heard yeah <laughs> and totally. then they're like you want to interview me like i absolutely want to interview you yeah and they're like come on in <laughs> you know it's, and, yeah. and, and and i learned a lot about people from from doing this even with the podcast because most people um they want to just have very real conversations and they want to talk about their passions and the things that they're doing and what they're all about and then we what do we know it a teaches us it's very valuable education and b yeah. the relationships the relationships the relationships the relationships Totally. Always, right?
0: Totally. Oh, it was, that was the best, that was really the best education I got was within those halls at Meredith Corporation. So that was, that was pretty amazing. Um, and so I was there for um, a couple of years and um, this is... Uh, this is why, why did I leave my dream job, right? So right out of college, I'm making $24,000 a year. And I'm like, yippee, this is amazing. This is just barely paying the bills. Um, so I talked to my coworker. I'm like, hey, you know, so what happens after you're here for a year? She's like, well, um, after you're here for like about 18 months and you make $25,000 a year. I said, okay, well, what happens when you're here like for five years? She's like, well, you probably be making like maybe $30,000 a year. And I started thinking of this trajectory and I'm like, <laughs> that is not the kind of the income picture that I have for myself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be here forever and I'm not ever going to get anywhere. And I'm like, well, who, who's making the money around here? Well, one of the uh, people that I did a lot of work with was the broadcast group president there because I did newsletters for them and I traveled mm-hmm. with them and that was a whole other thing that I did. And, um, and I was meeting all the broadcast salespeople. And I'm like, ah, that's where the money's made. It's the broadcast. It's the salespeople. So um, after about three years, I just decided I need a little change. And I just went in and I said, "I, I need some help. I need you to help me. I need to get into sales. I need you to get me into sales. And so um, it was at that time that the broadcast group president said, yeah, I will support you. And I will recommend you. And I went and interviewed with a couple of the GMs. And we, um, Meredith at the time, owned seven markets. And he's like, where do you want to go? I'm like, well, I don't want to go to Flint, Michigan. and I don't want to go to Syracuse, New York. But Phoenix, I think I could do that. I think I could take Phoenix. So
1: that's how you got here.
0: So that's how I got here.
1: <clears throat> um, I need you to get me into sales is probably the reason that they, he said, yeah, right away. Because nobody wants to do it. And I think it's like the greatest thing you can learn. Yeah. And how often do you hear somebody say, I need you to get me into sales? I can only imagine. (laughs) He was probably like, Yeah, okay. Can we like hire you like right now? I mean, because again, most people don't want to, I think most people are scared of it. um, And it's, and maybe they just, they just don't understand like sales to me and probably to you are like the easiest thing. It's, it's so easy because it's just like you're relating, like I have something for you. I want to make sure yeah. that it solves whatever it is that you need to solve or help you know flourish and make it a no-brainer for you Yep. so that way um, I can help you. Well, it's back <laughs> and to pro- sales. Back to problem solving, right? Yeah, you're exactly. You're just going in there. You're
0: just problem solving. That's
1: exactly it. So that
0: was my whole um, sales technique, right? Is to identify what were the problems yeah. and how could I potentially solve it. So I don't know that I ever really did learn how to sell. I don't know that I even sell exactly. today. I think I really <laughs> just tried to figure out how I could give them something they wanted or that could solve yeah. a problem.
1: Yeah, I I love yeah. I love that you said that because <laughs> that's that's the thing is like I didn't do the sales courses I didn't do sales training they're like how are you so good at so sales I'm like I want to solve their problem and either I have what they can solve or I've got strategic partnerships or other good people to make sure that they're taken care of by other good people because they'll remember that yep. they got that they found good good people resources through me yeah <laughs> you yep. know. So, um, well, that's incredible. And then, so that's how you got out here in Phoenix.
0: That's how I got out here. And then I didn't stay in sales for very long because I started solving problems. So I had, um, I was the most junior salesperson. So I had the worst, worst accounts. I was calling on (laughs) little teeny tiny bookstores in like Mesa or whatever, anything that would advertise on, um, at that time, KPHO channel five before they were CBS. It was when they were an independent. And so, um, I was out doing my sales thing and I was working hard, hard, hard. And, um, I had a coworker who came up to me one day and he emptied out his pocket. And he took like a couple scrunched up dollar bills and some change and put it on the copy machine, like right in front of me. The copy machine was in front of my office. Puts the lid down on the copy machine, opens it up, and he shows me the copy. He goes, this is what you make. I'm like, I know. That is what I make. He's like, you have got to find bigger accounts. You've got to to hunt for better stuff. I'm going to teach you how to hunt for better stuff. So that's that's where the sales career got a little bit better. But as I got better clients, what happened was they quickly started... I enjoyed this part. They trusted me as an advisor. Yes. So I would go in and say, hey, you should buy this from me. But by the way, you know it would make it really work? If you're talking to the folks over at Channel 12, pick up a little of this and pick up a little of that. Mm-hmm. And I started putting together schedules for people as a way to sell my schedule, figure out how to make the whole package work. And so um, then I started having clients say, well, hey, would you do my media buying? Mm. And so um, – I thought that was a great idea, so I left my sales career, and I started a little teeny tiny agency on a little Papazon coffee table with my dog in my lap, and that's that's when I kind of ventured into entrepreneurism, so I was about, what, 25 when I did that.
1: I think you were always an entrepreneur. Yeah, I was always, yeah. So that's what, that's when
0: I really put my um, no you. money where my mouth was, so right. that's that was the first day I decided I'm actually going to work and have no income right out of the gate, and so...
1: Being able to solve other people's problems and reduce their overwhelm, yeah, you'll be paid for that. You know? And um, and I I love again, I love the idea of you saw you know, another opportunity where you said, Okay, look, I know that you need this, but this and this also help you. You're helping their business thrive. Yep. They don't forget that. And then they no. obviously that's how they want you to do even more. And so so then so you start the agency.
0: How so many, I start the agency. Yeah and then um then i moved out to Awatuki and there was a marriage in there so we'll just got married and when I was out in Ahwatukee, um had my agency, and, and right after we got married, I actually talked to my then husband. I said, you know, you got to do this. This is a great life. This working <laughs> for yourself, this agency thing, you've got to do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it. I'm like, no, you ought to do this. This would be great. We should do this together. So he quits his job, and he starts at this agency with me, our little teeny tiny agency. And um, on day one, comes, to, I'm like, you know, in my usual, like, workout clothes, ponytail on the top of my head, doing my work, because I'm jamming, because I've got the agency going. Shows up like in my office wearing like suit and tie. And he's like, okay, so what do we do? What do we do here? I'm like, I don't know. Go find a client or something. I'm really busy. And so he's like, oh gosh, I can't believe I did this. I am unemployed. Mm. I said, no, you're not unemployed. You are the partner in an amazing agency. Yes. He's like, I feel really unemployed. But um, we created a lot of success with that and got some good clients, Jiffy Lube and some others. And um, it was around that time that I was doing some work with Dell Webb and blah, blah. Did a newsletter for them um, out in the foothills. And I got this idea to start a magazine. And I thought, you know, this is going to be huge. I'm going to do this Ahwatukee Foothills magazine. And um, everybody else on my team stayed on the agency side. So they all thought I was crazy. And I started this thing by myself. So I did it by myself for almost a year until one day. I'm like, I need, I need the help of the rest of you guys because we're growing here. And I expanded it into Scottsdale, changed the name to Arizona Foothills. And then that's when it really just took off.
1: Did you have both at the same time, the agency and uh, and the magazine? Yep. Smart. Yeah. Vertically integrated.
0: Vertically integrated. And actually, we you might be seeing that again here soon from
1: mm-hmm.
0: Iconic. But um, it, it made a lot of sense. And so um, – That was. It also provided us a nice foundation to start the magazine, but it was always my dream to start a magazine, but I never felt like I quite had the right formula. And so when I started that, I had so much passion. Oh my gosh, Matt, if you would have been on the other side of me, like I went out and I sold ads in this magazine and I don't think anybody told me no. I don't think there was anybody I talked to that didn't say, yes, I'll do it because I was so into it and so committed and sincere. I'm like, you've got to be with me on this. And people would say, it's a brand new magazine. You know, we don't know how it's going to go. I'm like, I know how it's going to go. It's going to be amazing. And people followed me and we were profitable right out of the gate. I was profitable right out of the gate. I was alone right out of the gate.
1: It, uh, it makes sense to be, uh, well, yeah, you were passionate, but you also had the background to explain, like, you, I don't want to say you were calculated, but you were calculated in a lot of ways. And I think that's the part that, you know... You knew it was going to be successful because you knew all the parts that go into it. A lot of yeah. times people just kind of go into it with only a dream. You actually went into it very um, methodical and like, no, here are the things that it takes to, to make that happen. I'm already doing this over here with the media and the agency. So, like, this is, this is exactly the natural progression of it. I know exactly yeah. how to get into whose hands and to do what and the distribution. I mean, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can see that it was definitely yeah. passion, but you, you were calculated because you 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 had a background.
0: Well, an interesting thing happened, and I feel like we're living so long ago still right now in this podcast. But one of the things that I picked up when I was at Meredith Corporation, and I'm not – this is no secret sauce, no nothing confidential. Every national magazine did this. At the time, Meredith was 8 million circulation, and that was mm. the biggest circulation magazine out there. And what I picked up from the company is where the real results happen. There's this thing called controlled circulation. And so if the rate base ever fell, if they didn't have 8 million actual subscribers, they would fulfill with, let's buy some names, let's buy a list, and let's mail it and make sure that it goes to the 8 million people. But we're going to cherry pick who's going to get... That balance of magazines. And it was a thing called controlled circulation. Mm. And what everybody around Meredith was talking about is controlled circulation. That's the audience that all the advertisers wanted. That was the audience that was buying the products that were mm. um, converting, ROI, the whole thing. That was like the best part of the audience was the controlled circulation. The reason I say this is when I launched um, the Foothills magazine we did controlled circulation because I'm like, why would I try to get subscribers if subscribers are not the best part of your audience, if the controlled part is the best? And what that means is you pick who's going to get it. So for us, we went luxury and um, we picked the um, high net worth zip codes. Became That was our controlled circulation. So we chose where it was going to go. And nobody was doing that in this market at that time. And so there were a lot of salespeople that I was selling against that were shaming me. Well, you don't have subscribers. I'm like, I don't have subscribers. I've got something better. Right. And so, but people didn't want to accept that because they wanted subscribers to be the best thing. But how did we become the number one magazine a couple years later? I mean, we, well, I, I, circulation
1: again, <laughs> again, everybody goes to New York. You go to Des Moines.
0: Yeah. <laughs> everybody has to have
1: subscribers. You have the actual homes and the addresses and you're just going to ship out the magazine to it. Yep. I mean, so it's not, but this brings up a good question and, you know, and and we'll keep progressing as we get to iconic, but when along the way you meet people who they just get very stuck in traditional business paradigms, well, this is the way it's always been done, which scares the shit out of me when I hear that, because I'm like, that means you followed something versus actually innovated and like made something from scratch. You constantly find a different way of doing something boy my audience is gonna love you for that (laughs) but like i'm an outlier yeah you know you (laughs) constantly find a different way for doing something how what is how okay how has that been met how did you deal with some of the resistance um and then how did it how was it met with some of the people who are like i don't get it but i'm gonna follow you because that sounds genius you know what i mean like i because i do feel like there's a balance you know
0: I mean, you know, there were people that didn't follow me at the time. They yeah. said, you know what? I don't know what this controlled circulation thing is. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, and that those are the people who came along a little later, right? Uh, but, always. <laughs> but I'll tell you something about Renee D. Is she remembers who brought her along. Yeah. So trust me, those people that bought my magazine way back when, the early days, those people had favored status. And there wasn't anything they could ask for that they didn't get. Because right? they were there for me in the beginning. And so I always, always, always remember that. And so same thing with Iconic. I mean, if you were there at the beginning, you're going to have a great ride mm-hmm. because we're going to take really good care of you. And so um, there was resistance to that. And so it was a hard sales effort. It really was. And so it was just a matter of just bang, bang, bang on doors. and just keep telling people. And then what what happened was the more we put that magazine out, the more the results were coming in. So clients were saying, you know, this thing's really working. (laughs) Somebody walked in yesterday and wants to buy this sofa or hired me as an interior design firm or they hired me as the architect or they they bought one of my homes. And people started um, – the ROI started to show up. Mm -hmm. And they started – my magazine started walking back in the doors of my clients. And that's when they said, well, we're with you forever now
1: for everybody listening especially since many people have been following for a long time this is a perfect example <laughs> of what so what you went through i felt you i felt it in my soul because what yeah. you went through was <laughs> i i saw in the beginning in about well starting around 2012 i would tell these companies well you want to curate your audience online you know social media social media in, but in a very authentic you know way etc and they're like yeah okay you know i'm like no you'll own your distribution yeah control it's a, a a modern way of controlled distribution 100% and they didn't want to have it. And then, so in 2014, when I started doing it, you know, they were laughing at me and they could, it's like, it was weird because they couldn't see the value in it until they saw the numbers in the ROI. And then all of a sudden, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, like actual yeah. real, you know, followers and subscribers. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. And then they would come and be like, well, you know, they weren't there at the beginning, to right. your point. And then of course they would say like, oh, well, um, I remember I had somebody who said, well... How about we, um, you know, we have a business where we charge $1,000 a month and uh, we'll give you $100 a month um, for every person that you, you know, you forward to us. I was like, how about you give me 60% of your business? uh, uh, I'll take 600, (laughs) you take 400 a month because I own the control distribution. I own the leverage. I own the audience, not you, which I tried to pitch to you back at the beginning and you didn't come along for the ride until now. So I had to I vent love that. that, but but, I but love you that. did that. Yeah. But you were you did so you were always. I mean, the beautiful part is like you, you started before digital and then going to digital. So you got all the concepts right away of like no 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 no. Here's how I'm going to do this from the very get go, and yeah. some of you will get it, most of you won't. And the ones that get it, I I call my, like, I was just writing about this this morning. My team, like, my circle, my people, I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever you need. And then everybody else is like, oh, how about this? I'm like, yeah, that'll be this. Yeah. (laughs) You know?
0: (laughs) I know. I've got my insiders. And, you know, I take good care of them because it's like, you know what? You were there with me at the very beginning.
1: Yeah. So, So, and then, so how long, uh, Arizona Fiddles ran 10 years for you? For you.
0: Yeah. So for me, 10 years. So I launched that in, uh, the first issue was actually out in 96. So by the time I left, it was right about, um, it was 10 years later. And so left and had a little non-compete and had a brand new baby. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to be a mom for a while. And so I was at home for, funny enough, for about five years. Like for somebody who does as much as I do, um, I didn't start anything after that. I Uh finished up there and um, really reverted to being a single mom at that time. And I was doing a lot of charity work and a lot of charity events. And when you chair stuff, that can be a full-time job in itself. So that yeah. kept me busy. But I really didn't dive into anything else entrepreneurial until my son went off to kindergarten. And about as fast as he went off to kindergarten, I'm like, all right, here we go.
1: <laughs> I've had five years of thinking about this. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, I mean, what a good time, though, for you, too. I mean, yeah. I, oh well, let's... It's I, really keep it It's really enjoyable. Real. I, I mean, enjoyable, but at the same time, I, I was going to say, well, the five years in between the, the, the creation, but like... Taking time for yourself—it's not always an easy thing for a lot of people. Or being able to—I'm not going to say sit with sit with ourselves because you were also doing things. And but you're taking time as a human being and taking time as a mother. Mm-hmm. And I mean that must have really like kind of been needed in a lot of ways.
0: Well, the process of leaving a business that you start and going through a divorce is devastating, yeah, right? It is, it is devastating. There's it a is. physical toll. There's a mental toll. There's a toll on who am I? What can I do? Like, just everything is just completely just kind of trashed. And I've always had a great attitude. So I always saw that there was, I always knew that this would be fine. This is going to be fine. I always had that belief, but you do have to take some time. And the other thing is I was so excited about being a mom. By the time I was finally a mom, you know, it was a little later than most people become moms. And I was super into it. And it was the thing that I wanted to do. That was the thing I wanted to do. Like, I... I, that was my serious job, was yeah. just be there and and be a mom. And so I loved that. And it really filled my cup, and it was really enjoyable. And um, The timing
1: I, of that. The yeah. timing of that. And I mean, what a
0: blessing that I yeah. could actually be at home during that time, that I didn't have to go, oh, my gosh, I've just had this massive life change, and now I've got to get to work to support the household, and how will we survive? I didn't have that stress, mm. um, which was wonderful.
1: I was recently and we won't spend too much time on this, but I I was recently listening to um, a spiritual mentor say something like um, the hardest um, death you'll mourn, one of the hardest uh, is a divorce Mm -hmm. because they're still living and nothing wrong to the other side, clearly, you know. And I've dealt with both a divorce and losing my father in the last year and a half. So like I I get the the parallel. This is why the conversation had come up. Losing a person and their soul – going you know moving on is 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 hard very, very 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 hard because their physical presence is no longer here and the way he posed it was now imagine a physical presence of that of that individual still here um we mourn differently in a divorce it's a different like it's a different mm-hmm. grieving process you know
0: you know i think to me what i thought it was was really the loss of a dream right so right. i did not there it is it was the loss of the dream because yes. i didn't think that I didn't think I was going to be single that wasn't the plan yeah. and you get married to be married forever hopefully right? right and so that wasn't the plan right. it wasn't the plan to not be married and it yeah. wasn't the plan to you know have our child go back and forth between two right. houses that was never 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 the plan and so I think I mourned the fact that what I had hoped was right. going to happen is not what happened the
1: vision we have for our lives yeah. that's exactly th- uh, thank you for saying that it was so well put that's exactly how I had felt yeah. it's like wait a minute you know, I thought I did everything right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, in fact, yeah. I, I actually I like the way I for the most part handled a lot of things. Um and that's because it's also you know, it's our identity, it's a lot of different things all wrapped up into it. And then we're like, How did this happen? And that's when the questions start, you know. I so know. Right? <laughs> I know. Right. I know. You're like, But I will go ahead and please. and
0: you know, it becomes a great time for self development too. There because it is. during yes. that time, um, I don't know what was in the water um in Scottsdale at that time but I had a number of girlfriends and it seemed like everybody was getting divorced. Mm. I mean I hate to say it that way but a lot of my really close friends just it just there was this domino and then there was this group of us and we were all going through it and some fared better than others and right. um a couple of us really took a look at the situation and said we need to come out of this better people. We need there to learn about ourselves. We need to invest some time in ourselves. We need, if we're going to figure out what our future is, we're still very, very young. Um, we need to really identify with what does this next chapter look like? If, if, it's, if it's something that I didn't expect was going to happen, now what do I do? And so um, did a lot of um, personal development stuff, tons of personal development, like seminars and books and all that stuff. I wasn't listening to podcasts back then, but right. did a lot of that. So that was you know, a positive that came out of it because I thought, you know, you have a chance to grow.
1: Well, massive respect to that because that, that's the whole point. We hope for that versus, you know, when we see people who play, you know, victim we're like, oh, you know, I, I get it. We all feel like we can feel like shit when it happens or something like, and, yep. you know, you can really, but how'd I get here? Who am I through this? Who am I really? Where do I really want to go? what mm-hmm. really matters. Like we have to look at ourselves under a different lens and mm-hmm. in order to, to look at ourselves under a different lens, we, we have to do that introspection, personal development. And people would say stuff like, well, you know, but so-and-so did this and so-and-so did, so-and-so did that. I'm like, but it doesn't matter right. because how did I still end up in front of this situation and how can I make sure that moving forward i'm in a little bit more control of where i end up or where i go or what happens in my world and maybe not the external world but at least mine you know the decisions i'm making right yep so i admire that
0: you know one of the things i kept telling myself is you know in leaving um leaving the marriage behind was tough i think leaving the business behind was equally (laughs) tough because i had so much identity in that and so i kept thinking you know what I'm going to just put that in the rear view mirror and not even really think about it. Um, I mean, the business and think about, you know, what's next. And my commitment to myself was, you know what? That's not going to be, I'm not, that chapter is not going to be the best thing I'll ever do.
1: Ooh, I like that. That's not
0: going to be, I don't know what's coming next, but that's not going to be the best thing I'll ever do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and to do that so early on and have so much life to go. Oh yeah. So if that's the benchmark, <laughs> if that's yeah. the starting point. <laughs> And there's so much more to expand from there, you know. So you get, so you you take five years off, and then you start back in. And where where'd you go from there?
0: So then there was just a lot of stuff that happened in there. But I right. started another agency. So what my thought was at that time was, um, if you don't know what you're going to do, um, and this is my advice to other people too, just get the wheels turning. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. I wasn't sure what I wanted to create. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get to work and start doing something because once I start doing yes. something then it's going to make me think about the thing that I want to do. So Such I Such a good
1: point. I'm sorry, but yeah. that's so true. Go yeah. ahead.
0: Just get, just get it going. Yeah. Just do something, right? Do yeah. something. Take a first step. So I started another agency, and I was working with a bunch of my former clients. So I had home builders, architects, a lot of people in the home industry. We're coming up on 2006, so we know how that went um, because it was somewhere around 2008. I literally said to almost all my clients, you guys, just put your checkbooks away nothing can save you here <laughs> hunker down get through this awful thing that we're all going through you don't need a pr agency you need to save your money right left just get through this bad housing recession and i'll see you on the other side and so then i wound that down and i thought okay well now it's time to come up with something else but i was super interested in coaching at that time so i took a year off for maybe it was even a year and a half off for education got a coaching certification. Mm-hmm. coaching certification And so it may have even taken me two years if I think about it. But anyhow, so I did that um, just to kind of completely switch what I was doing. And so that was another great self-development program because I know you know a lot of people in the coaching space and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're in that space as well. And so when you're learning how to be a coach, you're constantly practicing on the others in your class and you're really getting coached a lot. And so that's a whole other moment of self-discovery.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, so...
0: (laughs) It's a brutal education. What? Sales and psychology.
1: (laughs) Dealing with people and problem solving, <laughs> and helping them thrive in this world and their businesses. Yeah, I think yeah. you're pretty stacked at this point with <laughs> with all the right the right skill sets yeah. and learning. So, you, so and then after coaching, you know, um, what led up to iconic. Were there a series of events and things like that? Uh, There
0: kind of was a series of events. So Mm -hmm. it'll probably loop in. so the coaching led me to a business called Girlfriend University, which is where we were doing business coaching for women Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and helping them start businesses. And that was not the ideal thing to start during kind of the end of a recession because nobody had time. We had a great program, I thought, Um, but only did that for about two or three years because it just couldn't... It just never... It was, a, it was a difficult model and was hard to kind of get the rates that we needed to get. So I wrapped up that and took a consul- took two consulting things after that and then um, went back to decided it's time for me to start my agency again, which I did again. And so um, I took a couple of my favorite employees from my past and put together kind of a dream team and we started an agency called Vitamin G Creative. And we did that for a couple of years mm. and enjoyed it a lot, had a lot of social media clients that we worked with. And through this whole thing, I'm watching over here. I'm seeing this magazine world over here. And people are always asking, oh, Renee, would you ever get into that? Would you ever get into that? And I'm looking going, I so want to get into that. Um, But I was watching print. And is print dying? Is it going to be dead? Is this a good business model? So I just sat out for a couple of years sort of watching what was happening. Again, working with fabulous clients. And then um, it was in 2017 it was December 19th of 2017, I did um, a friend of mine who's a coach, we were doing some work together. And you know, sometimes you can't coach yourself. And I was hitting a little roadblock in my agency. And I, I knew what the roadblock was, but I wasn't quite sorting out how to get over this block. And I'm like, something isn't working just how I want it to work here. So I'm like, okay, put me through a process here and help me see what's going on. And as a coach, I could have almost probably put myself through the same process, but you can't coach yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was cool because I did the same thing for her a couple months later. But um, anyhow, so she put me through this whole process and we started talking about what I love. And I'm like, you know, it's about living beautifully. It's about beautiful imagery and beautiful stories and living beautifully. And I want to tell the stories of this and I want to have photography and a... And she's like, well, if you ever did a magazine, what would you do? And I'm like, oh, I so want to do a magazine. Well, I wouldn't do print. I would make it digital. It'd be this. And I start as a coaching process. She gets me to walk through what would it look like what well, would be this, and it would be digital, and it would be national, and it would focus on the things that I love, and it would amplify beauty, and and all of this, and it would be it'd be iconic. That's what it would be. And she's like, "Well, why are you not doing that?"
1: <laughs>
0: and I, I'm like, "Why am I not doing that?" Yeah. And so, in a decisive moment, some people might say this happened too fast, but I just decided I'm doing that. So I pulled the team together the next day and I said, we are going to shift gears. I have just at my gut, I know I want to do this. I know we can do this. I know we should do this. We are going to convert our agency. We're going to roll off our clients to some great colleagues that we've got in the industry. We'll hold on to a couple of them just to kind of make ends meet for a little while. Um, And we're going to launch a magazine on March 1st. And they all gulp. They're like, how are we going to launch a magazine so fast? I'm like, because we're going to do it because we know how to do it. And so I had some people for my team before. And so on January 1, we did the 60-day drill. And we launched Iconic on March 1 on schedule. And Mm. um, it was so exciting. It was just such an exciting time. This is, Iconic is the most purposeful I've ever been about a business. Mm. It's, I feel like maybe some businesses I've fallen into a little, or it was a good idea, or I had an idea I wanted to do it. This one just, this business kind of found me. Mm. It said, you know what, Renee, this... Why are you grappling with anything else? This is the thing you should be doing. And as soon as it occurred to me that that is exactly what I wanted to do, then you, you couldn't pull the idea out of me because it was just like, I, I have to do this and I know how to do this. And that's what we did.
1: There's a, a number of really important lessons in there for anybody listening and for us. <laughs> when, we, when we think about it, your ability to be able to move when you know it's in your gut. And, you know, earlier, as you were saying, um, kind of like building the parachute on the way down, kind of a scenario, right, yeah. like building. But <laughs> when we move is when I, I, I believe we can feel into something, but when we move, we can start to, to mold and shape the vision more clearly. Mm-hmm. And you had already previously done that so many times. So when you say something like, well, this is the most purposeful I've ever, I've ever been, you were tapped in, but you're also taking, you know, years of experience. And saying like, how would I treat this, knowing what I know now? Right. And since I'm already using my gut of what feels right, mm-hmm. and my ability to just move and shift and pivot and make that, you know, happen, yeah. um, I think it's it's some of the most important parts points anybody listening can understand. It's like we don't always know um, like the how per se, but we know that if we can feel into it right. and we can make moves, we're gonna be fine.
0: Yep. And, you know, sometimes when you worry too much about the how, then that will slow it's you so down. True. I'm going to tell you the thing that, all, that if there was going to be one thing that was going to slow me down and keep me from doing this, are you ready for this? Yeah. Wait for it. Everybody's, every entrepreneur's favorite word, fear. Right. So yeah. I wasn't afraid to start a magazine. I wasn't afraid to do a magazine. I had great confidence I could do it. What I was, I thought, oh man, I, It was so big last time, and people know me for having a lot Uh, of success. Oh, can we do it twice? Yikes. What if it doesn't go well? It's going to be embarrassing. Oh, this is going to be awful. And I remember feeling all those feelings, and I kept thinking. So I would give myself – like if I would feel those feelings, I'd sit down and go – yeah, okay, let's feel those feelings. It is going to be awful. It's going to be humiliating. It's going to be bad. People are going to laugh at you. Oh my gosh, your ex-husband's going to laugh at you. He's actually going to probably enjoy this. I mean, like all this bad stuff. And I would let it, I'd just let it go for about, I'd give myself, like sometimes I'd look at my watch and go, okay, you've got 10 minutes to just, you know, what is the word? Catastrophize or whatever. (laughs) You've got 10 minutes to do this. And then when 10 minutes was up, it's like, all right. Well, we're not creating any success worrying right now, so it's time to get to work. And so I would just let myself do that thing every once in a while, and then go. All right. Well, that's it. this. I'm not getting anywhere thinking these thoughts. So let's just get to work.
1: I really appreciate. <laughs> I really appreciate the vulnerability of that. It's a very true statement uh, of feeling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to launch something uh, next, and I. It's parts of it are so ambitious that I'm like. Either I'm crazy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what? Okay. And um and because there's just so many pieces that I'm at that point where like you know what I'm just gonna just launch this in like little little sections and and just you know go from there whatever and move with the people. Yep. But it's so it is a true feeling. Like, uh the the fear part, nah. But it's that part of um yeah you know you've done other things and then do something new. But but there's also that in the gut you just kind of know like you probably knew with iconic like here, let me do the catastrophize. Exercise, but I know, but I know, like I know, I'm not wrong, right? You know, which um, means I'm gonna probably have to pivot a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, and
0: you know, I I had a knowing it's what I wanted to do. I had a knowing that I had a vision that I thought was the right vision, and um, and and so I leaned into that. And then sometimes even just task oriented stuff helps, right? Because if you're gonna do a magazine, you need a content calendar, you need a media kit. So sometimes right. you just have to get to work. You know, Just get to work and make those feelings go away because so they're not serving you. Yeah. And so I would just do that. But I set up my entire dining room as this huge war room and I had this huge blinged out whiteboard and mm-hmm. just all this mm-hmm. stuff. And it was set up for like a month. And anybody who would come over, they're like, oh my gosh, what is happening in this room? Because there's just stuff everywhere. And we were just creating. And it was it was a really, really exciting time. And I'm glad that, um, I, that I pushed through it. And really, that is one of the things that, age will teach you, right? Because I'll tell you, the 20-year-old Renee probably would have been really scared of that. Mm -hmm. And when I started Arizona Foothills, honestly, I probably didn't, I didn't totally know how hard that was going to be. And so ignorance was a little bit of bliss there. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't have, and I hadn't done anything. And so there was no real failure that could happen. I start this thing, it doesn't work out, who will ever know? You know, so the risk, the stakes were so much lower at that point. But the 20 year old Renee would have been scared by this iconic thing.
1: <laughs> I, I so resonate with everything you're saying. Well, it's just, um, and the, another exceptional point that you mentioned um, about once you start creating, weirdly enough, it silences the noise and like amplifies the output and the answers. Mm-hmm. Because when we don't move and we don't create, our mind has the ability to make any story it wants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's not always a good one. And mm-hmm. so it's so well exceptionally put when you said you just you just started creating and it's like, here's a month and we're just going to jump right into it. But again, you get to take the experience of this time of being like... I know how to think through all, like, most of those components of that part and that part and that part versus, you know, 20-year-old Renee.
0: Yep, for sure. And I knew exactly what I wanted. I mean, I was super clear. When we, I keep saying we because, you know, I I believe in the team approach and that we are a team, right? So when I decided, well, no, that would be um, with what happened to print magazine theory. (laughs) (laughs) um, when I decided to get going, it was just very intuitive, you know, how to take the different steps and get going. But, you know, the next thing that happened is we had our first year. So we were, um, operational in, um, 2018, tried some new things in 2019. Um, 2019 was when, um, I just decided over that summer, it was time to bring back one of my favorite things that I had done, you know, in the earlier days, which was a designer show house. And I thought I'm going to do a designer show house. I can't believe nobody's doing a designer show house in this community. And so I had done six previously and, um, and and then nobody picked up the model. When I stopped doing it, it kind of went away. I, I know why it went away because it's a lot of work, right? Um, but nobody really did one after I had done these big, grand designer show houses. And I thought, I want to want to do a designer show house, and this is going to be great. And so I called up Rich Brock from Bedrock Developers, and we had done a show house together. And he had a project he was working on, and I just said, Rich, we got to do this. And mm. almost instantly, he's like, Oh, Renee, that resonates with me so much. And he's like, yep, I'm in. We're going to do it. So we got this designer show house going. And I had another one of those moments right before. So when you're doing a designer show house, you've got to you know, make all the plans. But then you've got to call the designers and say, will you donate your time to do the kitchen? And will you do the living room? And will you do the bedroom? And will you do the bathroom? And this whole thing. And so um, it was, it was a, an idea and something I wanted to do until I picked up the phone and called the first designer. Because this was another one of those things where I'm like, oh, man. As soon as I start asking, I got to get 20 great design teams to say yes. Otherwise, I am sunk. And once I start, I cannot stop.
1: I'm the same way. And I
0: remember sitting (laughs) in front of that phone. And it was just for about, I mean, you know, maybe a couple hours before I was getting ready to make the phone calls. And I'm like, whew, this is getting real. (laughs) This is going to get real, real. As soon as I pick up this phone and as soon as I started calling, I'm like, and here we go. And so it took me about 48 hours and I had the best designers around town mm. doing this amazing designer show house. And we were off and rolling and we had a spectacular kickoff and the whole thing. And I'm like, shoo
1: <laughs> But it was, it was going to happen, you know. But yeah, you're absolutely right because I, I, I get that too. It's like – because once you I, – I don't like – Stopping. I mean, it's one thing to stop if you're like, you know, you've done kind of everything and you've exhausted everything. You're like, mm, this is one of those great moments to like, yeah. put the toy down, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. But, but for the most part. I have to finish what I start. It's just it's part of the integrity-driven work and an entrepreneur's work and the drive. Um, But it always works out. (laughs) It usually always works out.
0: You know what? Um, A little nod to uh, Keith over at Arizona Fireplaces. We've got this joke now about how we always say it always works out. And we were joking about that the other day that this is something that we always say and it does always work out. But, you know, one of the things that I had on the line at that point was I didn't want to disappoint myself. I had such a grand vision for this show house and it was so big and so grand of what was going to happen. And I just didn't want to disappoint myself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, thank goodness that didn't happen.
1: Well, that's uh, the best relationship we have is with ourselves. And so, when we get to uh, experience our own accountability and responsibility mm-hmm. and vision <laughs> and realization and all of it for ourselves. It's pretty evident of what we're going to do for everybody else. So it's also so worth sometimes we're the first person to do that for which you did. And that's what you got out of it. But yeah, you know, you didn't want to disappoint yourself, but more importantly, because I think you knew you could do it. And and it just felt right. Yeah. Again, you know, without knowing all the how still made it work. Yep. Just take a <laughs> bite out of that apple and just get going again.
0: Um, and and then, you know, where that story ended up was, you know, this great anticipation of this designer show house and, you know, 18 days of events, you know, 18 events mm. in 18 days and photo shoots and spectacularness of this incredible home and everybody had, with great expectations. And it's the first one we've done in a long time. And the house looked amazing when it was done. And you know, two days before that big opening night party, the governor said we're all going to stay at home, right. and so that show house that meant so much to me did not open. Ooh. That was a crushing blow. It was crushing to everybody. Like it was that was that was a hurt. That ooh. was like a ooh that hurts bad. Uh. And to tell everybody we are not going to have people touring this house. It's not going to open up. It's like oh
1: yeah. <laughs> I actually can feel. <laughs> I actually I like I'm feeling it right ooh, now. I'm like. Yeah. That hurts. I mean, uh, you know, and I was I was just, I was feeling into that. I'm like, that, because it's something you believe in so passionately and you got it done, you know, and for whatever universal reason, it just didn't get to, you know, for the time being, Yep. you know, but that doesn't take anything away from, like, you executed on it. You did it all. It you know? was
0: going to be amazing. But here's where um, everything works out, right? right, right. <laughs> so that was the first time I would really say the word pivot came into my world And almost instantly, like the second I figured out this thing's not going to open, I had to sit. It was very emotional. I had to sit down. I had to sob for a little while. Right. I I had to just get that out because I was really, really disappointed. And I'm like, okay, now what are we going to do? Like that's always me. Now what are we going to do? And almost instantly I'm like, I need to get people through this house. I need to showcase these incredible designers that have done this work. I need my sponsors to get exposure. People need to see this. People need to see this big time. Nobody's going to go through it. How am I going to do that? And so it took about 72 hours. We got a video crew out there, hired models, um, hired a stylist, got wardrobe, borrowed wardrobe because we we couldn't get it. It was COVID. So geez, it was my wardrobe. I think we pulled wardrobe from my closet and um, shot a video so that we'd have a virtual tour and we set up a virtual tour online and then we promoted it like crazy. We got about 50,000 people through and my original plan was to get about 5,000 people through. And so um, we created a whole new show house model that we didn't even know existed. We had mm-hmm. never even contemplated doing any of that in the original model. And so this whole COVID thing made us really reinvent the whole entire model. For the better, who would ever do a show house without a virtual tour and an online presence? Who would ever do that now?
1: <laughs> nearly you know, nearly every entrepreneur... Uh, whether friend, uh, partner, um, you know, uh, in several partners in several ventures or just entrepreneurs at large all say the same thing like, all right, what do we do from here? And the previous 20, 15, 20, 30 years has taught us to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, last year was just another example of I'm here, this happened. How do, what do we need to change and happen? And I kind of try to remind people a lot of times of like what happened last year is like I get it because maybe you haven't had to play around with the art of pivoting in life, but there's a lot of us that have. (laughs) So the idea is what can you do from here? So what's very natural for you and I in that like, okay, I'm going to get very innovative here. Mm -hmm. I think the rest of the world had to learn that very quickly of like, is this what they talk about with pivoting? Like, yeah, this is what yeah. we talk about with pivoting. Like, is this what you guys have been going through for so many years? Yeah, this is what we've been going through for so many yeah. years. And, and I guess I'd, to wrap just the, kind of that point, because it was just making me think about how as uh, entrepreneurs and, and just going through our own journeys and things happening, Yeah, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, well, if you can think about them, like many years ago when I started going through a, you know, kind of a radical life transformation. Yeah, it's happening at a very individualized level. So you may only kind of see it from the outside, you know, but like you can see somebody that have to go through all these things yeah. and pivot and change. But for most people that are watching, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, he'll pull through. Yeah. But they don't realize until like as a collective, everybody all had to realize, is this what all of them, con- I know that, uh, without saying, you know. I don't mean it like that, but just sort of like people who've kind of had, we had to carve our way a lot of times. Right. And there were times without money. There were times without, you know, with with health issues. There were times with mm-hmm. death and loss and divorce and like you yeah. pick it, we probably went through it. Yep. And I think that's sometimes where people, because um, I know that when we talk so easily about a pivot happening, like, oh, yeah, this is how we think. Yeah, we think naturally, but that is practiced mm-hmm. because of so many times we had to do it over and over again. So I just yeah. wanted people to recognize that, yes, it's easy, but no, it's not easy because right. we practiced it for so <laughs> many years. So, but yep. But I admire you yeah. for instantly. I mean, like you said, 72 hours. Right.
0: What was what was the option? Right. There you exactly. That's my whole. And and, you know, so that was the whole. That was the whole thing. But for so many of your listeners who you know really are in this hardcore entrepreneurial world, you know that you know you never know what's going to happen. Right. Any day, you never know what's going to happen, and so you've got to be prepared for surprises around every corner. And so um, (laughs) that was a big one. You know, I was not expecting that. I mean, I really. I would have never guessed. So, we had to put together an insurance policy uh, for this house as we Mm -hmm. were touring it. And so, the insurance company's like, you know, what do you want to insure for? You know, what liabilities? I'm like, well, you know, somebody slips and falls. You know, I don't know. We break something. Um, I don't know. The house floods, maybe uh, construction error burns down. You know, I'm thinking of things that could potentially happen. And then um, I kind of jokingly said to my um, insurance person, I'm like, I mean, a plane crashes into it. I don't know. I don't know what we're insuring against, I said, but I think that's the complete list. I think that is the complete list. Um, You know, what I didn't put on the list was global pandemic. Right. And so, um, now, by the way, we ended up doing another designer show house. I had a national sponsor come on and that clause was in their contract in the event Mm. of a global pandemic. I'm like, well, we're in the middle of one. (laughs) But um, it, it was interesting because it was just, nobody had anticipated like that that would happen. Oh, something could happen to the house, but nothing would happen to the world, right? The world was not going to have a problem. I was not insuring against the world having a problem. So mm-hmm. we didn't see mm-hmm. that coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I don't know if we finished on this, but that was where the print magazine came in. So I'll see no, where you want to go there. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's
1: let's now talk about the print magazine. So, um, <laughs> because uh, that's that was two, two, <clears throat> 2020, um, but um, I met you right at your launch and you were or right after your launch and you were only digital right at that point yep uh, and I know you guys can't see this but the uh, the magazine's right in front of me and I, so I'm I, I was telling Renee before the show I'm a big fan of um, you know uh, magazines really well done that um, coffee table style and you see some of them out there Truve and cereal and um, you know even Heist and body does some iconic is like and you feel the cover <laughs> and it's very you know um, just I got a good feel and um, the layout I mean you could tell that <laughs> I can tell that you're experienced <laughs> with putting this whole thing together you know um, let's let's so let's <laughs> talk about the so transition. To, and and one more, just to add, what you're probably gonna say, the statistics I have been seeing, the statistics have been showing that there's actually a rise in um, print acquisition when the magazine is done a certain way, and like a lot of people are liking them as like coffee table style. They like them as kind of collectors pieces, yep. and that they were actually noticing both price points and acquisition going up. Um, So, and obviously, if you have the right price point, (laughs) you know, but anyways, please go through all of it. And,
0: you know, and it's so true. So, um, you know, when I started IconicLife.com, our digital luxury lifestyle magazine, I was thinking, gosh, you know, why would you start something that's almost dead or almost over? Like right now, we would not say, hey, let's go out and... um, and buy a Blockbuster. I mean, right. yeah, they're gone. But I mean, we wouldn't start a video <laughs> rental company, right? right? We're not going to do that. That's that's over, it's gone. There's so many businesses that are over and gone. And I just didn't really know how over and gone or not print was. And so I was out meeting with so many clients on the digital space and I was hearing people say, well, you know, we're probably not going to do print next year. And, you know, we're kind of phasing out of print. And I thought, okay, well, that kind of sounds like what I was thinking was going to happen. And so my first two years with Iconic, I was kind of in this, ah, print is sort of going away thing. Well... Then all my clients that told me in 2019, yeah, we're not doing any print in 2020. I get the 2020, I see the local magazines that are out there and I'm like, ah, they all did it. They all are in print. Everybody's still in print. Everybody said yes to this thing again. So I started going back to them asking and they're like, you know, it's still delivering results. We like the feel of it. Our clients like it. Our audience sees it. It's really working for us. And so I started thinking, hmm. You know, that whole quote about, you know, my um, my untimely death is greatly exaggerated or something as it relates <laughs> to print. Um, I thought, well, maybe there's still a little life left in this. And what was happening on the national advertising scene, which you probably saw some of this stuff, um, crazy stuff was happening in the face of this digital environment. Big brands are going to billboards and transit shelters. And direct mail, and they're going back to some of the old school advertising that they had been doing because of some of the challenges with digital. Now, digital delivers with incredible precision and accuracy and efficiency and results. But if you don't buy it right, it's a big. it could be just yeah. a big mess and you're not going to get much out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think people were dabbling in digital, not knowing how to use it. And so I think that there's been a little uh, regression back to some of what I would call some of the old school stuff um, that's really been working very well. So I started filing this away, and I started getting this little nagging thing in my gut again. I'm like, oh, no, not this again. And so every night, it's the middle of the night, and I'm thinking, I I should do a print edition. I should do a print edition. And I'd wake up every morning going, blasphemy, you're not going to do that. (laughs) And I did that for about 30 days. I did it just long enough, just long enough to just have enough time to pull it off. So on February 1, I woke up and said... We're doing it. We're going to do a print issue, and I wanted it to launch at the show house. So that meant I needed copies in hand on March Mm seventeenth. So we had thirty-one days to produce the issue, and I don't think we could have done it in thirty days. Somehow, I just gave myself just enough time to pull it off. I mean, just enough—like one more day—and I probably would have been behind the eight ball, couldn't have done it. So I decided that morning, and I just decided. I mean, decisive. We are doing print. I want to have something tangible for this designer show house. I want the designers to have this. Um, I feel like I need a print edition. And if I'm going to do a print edition, I'm going to have – I'm going to impress myself with the most beautiful cover I've ever produced, ever. This is Mm. what I told myself. Mm -hmm. And so within 15 minutes of that decision, I'm on the phone with my photographer and my stylist. I'm like, we've got a photo shoot on Saturday. Um, And like, what do we do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to publish a print magazine. Oh, when did you decide? Oh, a couple minutes ago. (laughs) When's the photo shoot? Saturday. Um, We got it all pulled together. It was a massive production, you know, house, staging, the whole entire thing. Um, I'm very proud of that cover. It turned out it was exactly what I wanted at the time. And um, and we published that first issue and sold the ads and the clients were supportive and lovely and um, we -hmm. pulled it off. Mm -hmm. And so we had this amazing print magazine. Well, here's the thing. I was going to debut this magazine at this fabulous party at my show house. It never happened. Mm, mm, mm. So here comes... (laughs) So guess what? You're not going to guess what happened next this time. So I've got all these magazines I printed to give to my five to 10,000 people that are coming through my designer show house, right? That's my distribution plan. Mm -hmm. Well, the magazine's off the printing press, and it's March 17th, and I got no distribution plan the house is not going to open. So now I'm sitting with all of these magazines, no glamorous launch party. I was so (laughs) excited to unveil this issue to the world and this huge party that never happened. And so we had a little um, hand-delivered it to everybody, made it very special and exciting. And then the next thing was, what do I do with these? Because I have promised advertisers a high-end audience so I can't just throw magazines around town. Right. That is not targeted distribution. That's not controlled distribution. What are we going to do? And so um, during COVID, I went and found where are the people. And so um, I happened to be over at BMW dropping my car off, and I saw a lot of traffic. I'm like, what's happening here? They're like, oh, we see about you know 300 people a week in our service department. I'm like, really? Well, they were one of my <laughs> partners of the designer show house. So I'm thinking, huh, over six to eight weeks, we could distribute magazines to the right people through the dealership. So I went to the dealership and said, hey, will you guys give these out for me and put them in the vehicles, which they did, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hit the high-end audience I wanted to hit. Um, Mark Tarbell hit a huge pivot with his restaurant, and all of a sudden overnight he's doing delivery of mm-hmm. fine food and wine. And his delivery tickets are hundreds and hundreds of dollars for people who are ordering dinner mm-hmm. to be delivered at home. I went to Mark and I'm like, you're going to the houses where this magazine needs to go. Would you drop off magazines with your delivery? So, Mark took some. And so, that, that sort of thing played out across the community where I found places to distribute this magazine to the right people. It's genius. The right way. And yeah. so, it was really out of the
1: box. <laughs> yeah. But, it, and it was also follow through. You were going to follow through. Yeah. And that's what you did. And, and, and in fairness, too, you have a very valuable item that people are going to be very proud of. And be like, yeah, of course, I'll take it. You know, so like BMW would be like, oh, of course, we'll put that in the seat. Like, you're adding your value to their value, right? And it becomes a no brainer for them because you know a lot of times people try to do like these crazy strategic partnerships or they're like, hey, can you do this? And are like, I don't see how like this would help. Yeah. You know, like or yeah. yeah, or just it seems mismatched you had an amazing well you already had partnerships with these people and and relationships but more importantly you had a very viable good asset that helps them even be even more valuable in right. like in, in their distribution and, and something that they were already doing so it wasn't even invasive on their part yeah. i just I, i'm like a business person i yeah. was like i like she? i was well no i just i love i love dissecting the i mean it makes perfect sense it's genius in my opinion
0: well, thank you for that. You know, it was <laughs> what it was was I need to fulfill the promise. Yes. And the promise was yes. this magazine goes to a high end audience, people who care about mm-hmm. design and everything that iconic is mm-hmm. fine food, fine design, style, travel. And travel obviously was out the door, you know, during COVID. But I had to get it in the right hands. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that audience was probably a stronger audience than the people that were coming to my designer show house. Well, my designer showhouse audience would have been a high-end group of mm-hmm. people. You've got a certain number of, you know, it's a beautiful house and you get some, you know, you get some um, looky loop kind of, right, kind of right. traffic, right? That maybe isn't as targeted, but lovely, lovely to have all of them come mm-hmm. and support the charity and come to the house, right? But so I probably hit a better audience doing it the way I did, mm-hmm. but it was crazy because I literally, I mean, most of these ended up in my garage. I'm delivering boxes. I got the printer to take some to BMW, but I'm driving around town. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. I found a high end salon. I dropped some off there, but then the salon closed down due to right. COVID. They called and said, "Renee, will you pick up your magazines?" Like, absolutely. <laughs> well, and what was so funny is I'm like, I just dropped them off. I can't come pick them mm-hmm. back up. Um, but so it was. It took an effort to, to yeah. get them in the right hands.
1: Yeah, but and and <laughs> and to people who everybody's home. Yeah. So like, they're going to people who are everybody's at home. So well, they're going to be reading them. At home.
0: That was the thing that happened. So everybody was reading the magazine and I'm yeah. getting feedback and people are emailing me and they're like, oh, we're sitting at home and we're reading your magazine. Uh, I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh.
1: Because uh, everybody's at home. Yep. And that also
0: worked for the show house going virtual <laughs> mm-hmm. because everybody was at home. And remember how museums yeah. started going virtual? Yeah. Well, before all the museums and everybody went virtual, we were virtual on March twenty. 20- Fourth, I'm trying to think when we got that thing live. March mm. 24th. Hardly anybody was virtual that right. fast, mm. um, and we totally benefited from everybody being at home and watching things virtually on their computers. So
1: adaptation,
0: it all worked out. It,
1: it all does work out. Well, so long as you're willing to figure it out, it does all work yeah. out. Actually, even sometimes when you're not willing to figure it out, God and the universe, source, whatever, we'll yeah. be like, um, I'll help. I got you. Yeah. You know, um, that's incredible. And now, and what what do you guys have coming up now? Now, you know.
0: Yeah, so where that all went is we did. Uh, we ended up doing another designer show house mm-hmm. after that because we figured out that we knew the, the model for designer show houses, produced another magazine to go along with that. Clients started saying, loving this. Really, we've got an appetite to see this quarterly. We'd like to support nice. you. We'd like it. To, it's working. It's bringing in business. Launched Iconic Quarterly in this year of 2021. Mm. So we're halfway through that quarterly schedule. And so we'll produce um, two more issues yet this year. And I'm loving print. And you were saying about the design. I have so much fun putting this thing mm-hmm. together. I can imagine. This is another one where I don't want to disappoint myself. If a layout comes back, we've got a great designer. If the layout comes back, I'm like, oh, I gotta tweak it. I gotta tweak it. It's <laughs> gotta be just it's gotta be what I want it to be. And I love that uh, process. I do d- so.
1: I do too. I so I have my agency mm-hmm. and I'm I'm QA. I'm final, you know, quality assurance. Everything has to come through me. And I I can't help it, I can't help it. I have to still like, I'll log in and and rework the design and the layouts and it has to look a certain way. The branding has to be a certain way. (laughs) The color schemes, no, the complimentary colors. I can't help it, I can't help it. But my team knows it and they're like, we're going to get it all ready for you to do the QA. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, and we take zero offense. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's good. It's good. Yeah. Well, and
0: it's a collaborative process, right? It takes a village to get that all pulled together. Yes, so it does. Um, we're mm. really proud of the covers that we do. And we enjoy the process of, mm. you know, producing covers. The one you're looking at, you right. know, I'd mentioned to you is on a, a live taxiway at Scottsdale mm-hmm. airport. And so that was an exciting one. We've got some other amazing concepts. I already know what the next two mm. covers are going to be um, this fall and winter. And then um, we're really liking the event space too. So Mm. we launched a Net Zero Iconic Home, which is a sustainability show house. And we think we're, we've not found another one in the country. Maybe somebody else has done it. And if you have, call me. Um, (laughs) But we're the only sustainable show house. And so that'll be debuting next Mm. spring. And um, with any great luck, we'll bring people through that house, which will be the first time we get to do that. So that'll be really exciting. And then we've got, other things up our sleeves too that haven't been announced yet, but more in the event space.
1: I'd be disappointed if you didn't have other things up your sleeve, to be honest with you. (laughs) I feel like, are you slacking? Like, like, are you not, (laughs) what are you not innovating? I'm like, (laughs) I feel like you probably have, um, you know, a catalog of, uh, things just ready for any given moment in any given because i know how the mind works too but it is true there's
0: there's some things i really 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 want to do and we are going to do them
1: incredible (laughs) i think you're doing a phenomenal job and in such a short time with iconic but in a long game mentality and um just consistent experience and showing up and moving making it happen and not knowing and still making it happen and uh you're doing phenomenal Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. You yeah. know,
0: I love it. It's um, you know, I'm proud to be a business owner and that we're, you know, this happens. This is this is blood, sweat and tears that goes yeah. into this. We're not a big huge corporation. Um for those of us who work for those, you know, who work with us in this marketplace, we're locally owned. So we love working with our local businesses yeah. here. You know, we are local. Most of the titles in this community are not locally owned anymore. And so, you know, I like it feels good when everybody keeps their money locally. That matters to yeah. me, and I like to take care of my local partners by referring them and, you know, creating business and buzz around that. So, really, there's so much more that even comes from this magazine. There's the oh, the client so. relationships that that come from it. I mean, it's really enjoyable.
1: That's uh, again, so the relationships and the partnerships and the strategic partnerships and the referrals and I yeah. mean, in resources, there's just so much behind it and then of course you know that all came with experience so um, where can everybody find iconic
0: so on social we are at your iconic life on all channels on clubhouse it's renee ld help me What's my oh it's just renee d i oh i've got my name on clubhouse please edit that out um so on clubhouse (laughs) it's uh renee d and then iconiclife.com, and then you will find the magazine um, on our website. You can find the digital footbook there, and then copies are on the newsstand at AJ's and at the private airports around An- town.
1: Amazing, amazing! Thank you so much for being here. This was cool. It was, it was, it was fun because I wanted to know how we got here, and I just knew you came with like a background of experiences that were just like, where do I begin? You know? Well,
0: it was fun. Yeah. That was probably a very long story. I don't know how long we've been at it, but I've enjoyed this so much, and you are a great interviewer. Thank
1: you, <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate. It. We're at it about an hour and twenty, <laughs> and uh, I know what it, my opinion goes <laughs> fast. It goes really, really fast, you know. And and again, I just um, I think when people miss the context, like we got to supply it, right? And I think that yeah. when they hear. Because there was just so many takeaways. Again, I I, I like that idea. By the way, uh, before I forget, because one of my favorite, I don't like to go to work, but I like to work. Every entrepreneur listening knows exactly what that means. That's like my, that was, (laughs) I want to put that up into a a beautiful book. I don't like to go to work, but I like to work. I love working. Yeah. I love working. I just don't want to go to work, (laughs) you know, at, yeah. But I love creating and building and working and and doing the work. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to go to work. And I know every entrepreneur and creative and creator knows exactly (laughs) everyone. I probably was nodding early on when you said that. Keeps us motivated. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, I appreciate it. And everybody listening, um, and where else can they, um, if they want to get in touch, like if maybe anybody, if they're local or they're Arizona or they're national, I know, but they want to get a hold of you for the magazine side, is there a special place they can get a hold of you?
0: Um, DM me on the at youriconiclife.com or youriconiclife or um, email me at renee at iconiclife.com.
1: Okay. Perfect. And I think
0: all my contact infos on LinkedIn too. So okay. I don't keep anything private. So I'm pretty easy to find. I'm, I think my phone number is on there by the way. So got if you it. want to advertise, call me. I used to <laughs>
1: dominate LinkedIn. I got to like redo like all I used to dominate branding wise everything. I'm like <laughs> it, lately everybody just keeps hitting me up there and I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's incredible. Uh, for everybody listening, uh, your iconic life on all social, but DM, um, renee at your iconic life on instagram or renee at iconic life or iconic life.com yep and uh so whether whether you just want to know more about the magazine or you want to go pick up a magazine or you want to uh potentially advertise or you want to just connect in general please reach out to her um she's also very busy so i always say this to all of you guys just you know um be patient but also Appropriate, <laughs> you know, because she's a very busy person. Um, but uh, but all of our listeners are incredible people. And please go support and follow uh, your iconic life, Renee. Thank you so much for being here. I Thanks, really, man. really appreciate it, absolutely. And for uh, Renee D for Iconic Life Magazine, uh, for myself, Matt Gottesman, for the of Sold separately, I love you guys. I appreciate you. I also really appreciate all of the, fee- uh, the feedback and the support, um, and all the ratings and reviews. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you, but apparently Apple really appreciates you when you leave that feedback because they expand the show even more. And so it, it really does actually mean a lot to me on the journey. And I appreciate all of you guys. Thank you. And we're out.